When I went to college, an Episcopal college, imagine going from Pentecostalism <laughs> to Episcopal. It's like, God, are you here? But going to the worship services and experiencing God, my understanding of God began to expand during those times. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking In Good Faith today with Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Ruth Ann Segres. She serves as Chief of Chaplain Accessions in the headquarters of Air Force Recruiting Services in San Antonio. I am so pleased that you would be here, Chaplain, to speak with us. Thank you for coming in. You're welcome. I'm honored to be here with you. It was a privilege to be at an earlier event where you were talking to future chaplains and religion teachers, especially you were uh, pulling for the Air Force, I noticed. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And so you have a huge sense of mission, which Mm -hmm. you have to have in the military, but this is a separate huge sense of, of mission in, in being a chaplain. I wonder if you would talk just about your beginnings of faith. What led you there to be a chaplain? Well, I'm a fourth-generation minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so you can almost say it's in my DNA. All I've ever known my entire life is church and Jesus. You know, uh-huh. I grew up in a Pentecostal holiness church, so Jesus was talked about all the time and lived throughout the community. I was born in South Carolina, and I lived in a community called the Holy Woods. <laughs> And the interesting thing about the Holy Woods, it's the name of the community because it's literally in a woods and the church was Pentecostal holiness. So we were known as those holy people in the woods. So the name of the community became the Holy Woods. And it's still my family's formative church today. My father actually is the pastor of that church today. He's a bishop in his denomination. But when we go back, that's still the homestead. Wow. We moved from the Holy Woods when I was eight years old. That's my father's first pastorate in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. And so when your father's the pastor, all of a sudden his family becomes his congregation to do any and everything. If you need a musician, my daughter's going to sing. If you need a singer, my daughter's going to sing. If you need a musician, my daughter's going to play or my son's going to play. And so we've been active in church all of our lives. And so when people ask me, when did I actually discern my call to ministry? When I look back over my life, I've been in ministry since my formative years. In the middle of all that, is there a moment when you thought, I have been growing up steeped in God? Do I even believe? Or was that just always there, that belief? Always there. I Mm. mean, I grew up telling people Jesus was my best friend, you know, and I'd have stuffed animals across the bed reading the books of the Bibles, and (laughs) Jesus loves me, and that's my favorite song even to today, Mm. you know, because if I ever questioned anything, I always knew Jesus loved me, and Jesus was my friend, you know, and I could always just talk to Jesus. So prayer has never been challenging for me because I've always been in conversation and in dialogue, I even say, with Jesus. And so growing up, that's that's just all I've ever known. And you would be in church and you would recognize that spirit. Yes. Oh, there. yes. I mean, growing up. Especially being in a Pentecostal background. Uh, exactly. I mean, it was very evident, very visible move of mm-hmm. God, you know, very demonstrative moves of God. Nothing for people to, you know, do the holy dance or clap or it, very natural for me. And, and to say, oh, OK, that's an expression of God. 
what I had to learn was that God not only expresses God's self in those very demonstrative, but in the quietness and the stillness. Mm. And so when I went to college at St. Augustine's College in Raleigh, North Carolina, an Episcopal college, imagine going from (laughs) Pentecostalism to Episcopal. It's like, God, are you here? You know, but going to the worship services and experiencing God, my understanding of God began to expand during those times. And I had a greater appreciation and a greater love for God to say, God will meet you where you are. It doesn't matter who you are. If you want God, God will show up. You mentioned in the meeting I got to attend earlier that God is bigger than any one denomination. And I imagine you just have to have that in your pocket as a chaplain. Yes, that is true. Being a chaplain, working in a pluralistic environment, you know, and serving beside people of different faith. Number one, I must be strong in my faith as a believer in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And then when I know who Jesus is for me, I can see that same spirit of God operating in others and realize that God is speaking to my Methodist brother. God is speaking to my uh, Presbyterian sister and realizing It's the same God. It's the one that I'm already loving and embracing that and realize those who even don't know God, that God is still at work in their lives. And as the chaplain, I should be able to see that and help them recognize what that movement is that they're experiencing or that emotion that they're experiencing and say, that's a God moment. That's God at work in your life. So you have a God moment. Mm hmm about chaplaincy, but you were surprised. It wasn't your plan. Exactly. No, chaplain corps was nowhere on my radar, if you will. I wanted to be a child psychologist, and my undergrad degree was in psychology, but I knew that God was pulling and tugging me in another area. You know that, Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, said Mm -hmm. the Lord. Well, God, could you reveal this a little earlier before I got into my second (laughs) semester, you know? And I finally just yielded to the Spirit and said, yes, Lord, I'll go into ministry. And ministry, the paradigm of ministry that I knew at that time was only church ministry. Mm -hmm. I didn't recognize or realize ministry outside because that was the paradigm that I grew up in, the four walls of the church. And so I just said, God, but I don't want that kind of ministry. And it was in seminary that I was exposed to the Air Force. And I was thinking, ah, this is where I fit. And so in 99 is when I came into the reserves, and I've been doing it ever since. And it's like, okay, this is, this is God's mission field for me. I really admire what you said about that you have to be centered in your beliefs. Yes. Because you get transferred, because yes. you meet people you've never seen, and you're going to see them for five minutes. Mm-hmm. All you can be is you to them. Exactly. And hope that God makes a connection there. When I came into the Air Force, Chaplain Potter was the chief of chaplains, and I came in under the banner of visible reminder of the holy. And it it didn't matter where I was. It could be in Qatar. I could be in North Carolina, could be in Colorado Springs. But wherever I was to be as a chaplain, I was to be the visible reminder of the holy that when I walked in, that those airmen knew, okay, God just walked in, perhaps not in that language, but they knew something was different. Another presence was here. And so I had to be centered in who I was through my prayer life, through my scripture reading, through my devotions, through my fasting, so that when I walked into those environments, those people who needed me recognized that there was a presence of holiness there, even though they couldn't articulate it, 
but I could walk into their journey, into their narrative and present God to them in a way that they could understand God. I wonder if you've had the experience that so many have of asking for direction or asking to understand something and being kept waiting, but still having faith. Yes, this is so very true. Maybe about two years ago, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And in the military, that is a separation issue. It's a medically separating issue because you can't deploy because of the medication. Well, when I was first diagnosed, I told my doctor, I said, we're going to see what God's going to do. Well, it took two years for God to manifest God's self in that situation because the deployment working group said that I was unfit to continue on active duty and to separate me. I appealed that decision and it went to our informal board and they said, we agree with the previous board, you're unfit. But I knew what God was telling me in my spirit. God said, I've called you to the ministry of the United States Air Force. And I'm thinking, well, God, you've told me this. Are you going to tell them? You know, because these people are saying, separate me, give me a severance package and tell me bye-bye. I appealed, went to the formal board, stood before the formal board. And while standing there, I'm a tea drinker, as I told you earlier, one morning before coming to San Antonio to uh, share my testimony of why they should keep me on active duty, the cup that I, I was drinking out of every morning for tea says, she who kneels before God can stand before anyone. Well, the handle on my cup It fell on the floor and the handle broke off. And I heard the spirit of the Lord say, Ruth, will you throw that cup away? Will you discard it or will you repurpose it? I picked my cup up with the handle in one hand and the cup in the other. And I looked at that cup and said, the essence of that cup is still there. I said, I can't drink anything hot out of it anymore, but I could use it as an ink pen or pencil holder. I could use it to drink cold drinks out of it. And I said, Lord, I'll repurpose it. And so I said to the board, said, God is saying to you, do not discard Ruth, repurpose her. I had a letter from our chief of chaplains supporting me. I had a letter from all high-ranking kind of people supporting me, and the board had all of this evidence. The board came back and said, separate her from duty. And I'm thinking, God, you've got to be kidding me. It doesn't get any higher than the (laughs) chief of chaplains. Well, then I had to appeal to the secretary of the Air Force. That's like going to the Supreme Court, the justices. And usually I was told that no one had ever been returned to duty with rheumatoid arthritis. And usually the secretary of the Air Force will agree with the previous board's findings. Well, the secretary of the Air Force came back with a letter that said, return Ruth Segrist to duty. And period. So, period. And so I have been returned to duty. But this is the blessings of the Lord. Not only have I been returned to duty, not only have I beat that, I went back. I was in Germany. I went to a rheumatoid specialist. They took blood samples and worked. And the doctor said, who told you you had rheumatoid arthritis? There is no active sign of disease in your body. God is a healer. And so today I'm in the United States Air Force and I don't have that medical issue over me. God has healed me and I'm going forward in the Air Force. I had faith to believe God when everything was no. So it was that, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Manifest yourself, God. Two years of waiting. Wow. For God to say return to duty. So you had had faith experiences that let you trust through all of that. Yes. Yes. You know, and I tell people, it's not that I didn't have a crisis of faith in those moments. Like, you know, God, 
it's it's your daughter here. What's going on? You know, and it's not that I did that laundry list. I'm paying my tithes. I'm a good person. I never did that. But what I thought about the story that kept me going was, God, you're using this for your glory. And you trusted me enough with this hardship because, God, this is hard. I love the Air Force. I love the ministry. And it's being threatened to be taken away. But I know what you said to me, God. And it was very difficult during those moments. But I still believed God. And so I said, "Okay, God, I've got to hold on to you through these difficult moments, through these valley like experiences and saying you're going to prepare a table before me. I just believe it. It's hard right now, God. It's hurting right now, God. I'm crying right now, God. But I believe you. I believe the word you've spoken to me. And here it is now. God is faithful. Amen. Amen. But I still want to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I have often wondered, and you're the perfect person to ask, when you read the Old Testament in particular, and there are so many battles, Mm -hmm. and the Lord saying, sometimes take all these people and do this, or sometimes, no, 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 too many people, pair Mm -hmm. them back, because I want you to know it's me. Lots of us civilians see that as great metaphor for what we're doing. You not only have the metaphor, but in the military, you're the Army, Mm -hmm. or the Air Force, as it were. Do you read and understand those passages? Uh, Are they more intense to the people in the service? What I love doing for the scripture is making them relevant. I think we have to make them relevant so that they're just not a story. So every time I get to preach, and I'm using a text, be it an Old Testament text or a New Testament text, I make it relevant to military lifestyle. And I talk about the disciples particularly, how they moved from this place to this place. We call them permanent changes of station. I said they had an assignment in Macedonia. Mm -hmm. And then God said, but no, I need you to move to Samaria. They got PCS orders. I said, so every assignment was not plush. Everybody does not get to go to Hawaii. Paul did not want the assignment (laughs) that ended him up in jail, but he went there and God manifests. So sometimes those assignments, God said, you're getting ready to go to whatever base X. And you're like, oh my goodness. That is the exact place where God needs you because someone's there who needs to encounter God through you. And so I try to make them very relevant in contemporary language to saying the God of the Bible is the God that's still very much at work in our lives today. You know, you are just reinforcing the message you speak on, which is save a soul, (laughs) S-O-L-E, spiritual outlook on life events. Yes, that's it. (laughs) You branded that in my brain. Beautiful. It's it's sticking there. You mentioned an experience that you had of being in Afghanistan and being put in a situation where you had no idea who or what was coming at you. You just had to. Would you just share that? Sure. I was assigned to our hospital there and I was Mm -hmm. assigned from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And if anything was going to happen, it appeared to happen during the darkness of night. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I was introduced to the emergency room and one of the doctors took me there and put me in a spot. And he said, you see that X there, chaplain? I said, yes, sir. He said, stand there. And I stood there. He said, that's your spot. It doesn't matter what happens, who's coming into this ER. You are to stand there in that spot and speak to the patient that's on the gurney. And sometimes they would be unconscious. Sometimes they would be conscious. But it was my job to speak life. It was my job to speak words of encouragement. It was my job. And I always looked at their name tag Mm -hmm. and called them by their name, you know, because I believe God calls us by our name. God knows us by our name. And so to speak that person's name 
says you're just not a number, but you are Vance, you are Naomi, you are, you know, instead of just airman or soldier, you're a person and I value you. And being in that environment, very traumatic, not only for, you know, the people that are there, but for the chaplain also. So after that, you know, moment or those moments, I had to go and to pray. And when I got off duty, I always went by the chapel and I would sit there for my first 30 minutes and just pray to decompress and say, Lord, I'm giving you this. I'm giving you everything that I just encountered. And some of it was very hideous and heavy. Because you can't carry that. I cannot. You know, I think of a parable, um, not a, a biblical parable, but a parable of the camel and the master. And it says at the beginning of the day, the camel gets down on its knees and its master loads it up with all of these sacks and bags and goes throughout the day taking the sacks off. And at the end of the day, when the camel comes home and the master comes home, the camel gets back on its knees and the master takes the saddle and whatever bags off and that camel's able to rest for the evening. So at the beginning of my day, I'm down on my knees mm-hmm. and saying, Master, Lord Jesus, what are you putting on me today to carry? But at the end of the day, I can get back down on my knees and the Lord will take whatever is left on off mm. and I can sleep with peace. Chaplain Segrist, in a situation where if you're speaking to someone who is conscious or, mm-hmm. or not, how do you speak life to someone who is in shock or has no idea what's going to happen? Will they heal or not? They have no idea. Well, we never give them those types of promises of uh-huh. healing, of those mm-hmm. types of things. But we're speaking to them as a human being. Yeah. Conscious or not, I believe their spirit still hears me. And I believe in the God that's invisible to show up in visible ways. And so more so than speaking to that person, I'm speaking to that person's spirit. I'm, I'm letting them know that they are loved by a divine. I'm letting them know that they are valued by God. I'm letting them know that as a person, I care for them. They are my brother, my sister in arms, and that you are not alone. You've got a wonderful team that's working on you. And so I'm giving words of yeah. encouragement in that situation. You mentioned some personal rituals Mm -hmm. to keep you, I guess, centered in God. Yes. Would you talk to me a little bit about the prayer part of that? Some people feel like they're talking, but where's this going or it's not going past the ceiling or others may feel like, well, I've been asking and asking. and I don't see what's happening. This is a very real thing for you. And you feel that God has laid things on your heart. Yeah. Instructions even how to proceed. I'd love to hear about you and prayer. Prayer is my lifeline. It really is. And for instance, the soul concept, S-O-L-E, that you just spoke of. I was walking on the base one day and just praying, saying, Lord, you know, you've got me here in this setting as a chaplain recruiter. I would like a phrase that I can brand, that I could leave something with people. And I says, Lord, I just need for you to give me something. And I looked down at my shoe and I had on my combat boots at the time. And I said, soul, spiritual outlook on life's event. It came just like that. To me, that's God responding. <laughs> you know, that's God, you know, saying, I've heard you, daughter, and, and, and I'm well pleased. And, and that's how that came. You know, I'll get up in the morning times. And for me, it's reading my scriptures. It's praying, you know, preparing myself for the day and whatever God has for me in the future for those of which I wish to encounter. And ultimately, it's, God, I want people to see you through me. Rather I use uh, theological language or not, I want people to know that they're in the presence of you when they encounter me. So my prayer is that my life is seasoned with grace, that I may sprinkle it on those whom I encounter throughout the day. 
because you're a recruiter for the Air Force, mm-hmm. when you have people considering going into chaplaincy, is there something that you're looking for in them that lets you know that this can work, that they can do what will be required of them? Or is it just all different for different people? Well, it depends. Fundamentally, for me, I'm looking at, number one, their commitment to God and to their faith tradition, Mm -hmm. because we need you coming in committed to God, as well as being strong in your faith tradition. What we need for you to be is able to go into any situation and minister to versus needing to be ministered to. You need to be so strong in who you are that you can walk in and almost be unshakable, mm-hmm. even if you're quivering in your boots, that you could still <laughs> rise above and minister in that situation. And so we're looking for, tell us your faith journey. Tell us the tenets of your faith to see, do you really mm-hmm. know? Because you're going to be working in a pluralistic environment yeah. and you need to know who you are. And and then we're looking at the sincerity of their heart. And I believe that comes through versus do I just want a job and this is easy or am I really called to this mm-hmm. to make a difference in someone's life? Maybe there's no such thing as a favorite verse or a favorite parable or, or some mm-hmm. moment. But is there something that has touched you recently you've thought about that's a, a touchstone in the scriptures? Well, for me, this year, the scripture that's been resonating in my spirit is the Micah 6, 8, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with my God. And for me to do justly, it's to everyone that comes into my office as a chaplain and as a human being, if I'm in a grocery store, to love mercy, to be kind to people, you know, show loving kindness. With loving kindness have I drawn them, you know, to be kind to people and to walk humbly with our God. You know, as we matriculate in rank, you know, and for me, I know promotion comes from the Lord, but sometimes we have a tendency to allow pride, if we, if it's not checked, to slip in, to be the, you know, wow, we've made gold in the United States Air Force. Our physical year ends in September, but we've already met goal for this year. Mm-hmm. And, and I could say, wow, this is the first time in Chaplain Corps history. We've made goal this early and we've banked for next year. Look what I've done and look what I, you know, no, look what the Lord has done. And so it's that posture of humility to say, thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me and the team to make goal, that you've allowed the team that you've blessed me to lead to have the skill set to actually go and share this ministry that touches another person's heart to say, that's the ministry I've been looking for. And always, always, as I say, to God be the glory and to me the opportunities. Is there something I should ask you that I don't know to ask? Well, I think for those who are considering ministry, and I think across the board, that we have to meet people where they are, not where we want them to be. Mm. And I think sometimes we engage people where we think they should be, But when our expectation reality does not align, we have to bring our expectation to where the reality is. And I think we can do ministry from that point. I have the experience of listening to you talk. I might even say to you preach a bit. (laughs) There is a a sense of something that I call a sense of power in what you're doing and in what you're sharing. You were speaking to chaplain candidates. Mm -hmm. We always hear about the millennials leaving in droves. They're still often believers, Mm -hmm. but leaving organized religion. Do you still see young people coming up trained the way they need to be and understanding life and God the way they need to be to fulfill positions like this in or out of the military? 
I think over the last 15, 20 years, we've seen a major shift in our culture, which has affected, if you will, church, and now the language is the unchurched. Mm. And I'm often surprised when I encounter people that said, I didn't go to church growing up. And it just like blows my mind. But that is the culture that we unfortunately now live in. And so my entry point to them is, while you may not have gone to church, do you know God? The largest group of people in the military now, when we look at our rosters, the nuns and not the Catholic nuns, but (laughs) no religious preference. But I still believe that there's something out there. And usually they don't know how to define that something because they didn't grow up in, like me, Sunday school. They didn't grow up in church. They don't know what to name that something. You know, a lot of them say, I'm spiritual. Okay, but what does that mean? And when I began to engage them in conversation, they just don't know church language at all. They didn't grow up hearing the stories of David and Goliath. So when I'm from the pulpit now, I can't say, well, you know, the story of David and Goliath. Some of them don't know. So I'm cognizant of that in my preaching or in my teaching to not take for granted the knowledge level is that of mine. So we're seeing a group of young people, and I think that's what's missing. I often use the analogy of the four legs on a chair, and one leg is one of the little pegs is off, and so this chair is not stable. And I think that's the spiritual piece that's missing from people because they don't know I'm not stable in this area, but I'm, I'm okay socially. I've got my friends, and I've got Facebook, I've got Snapchat, and I've got whatever the new, newest technology is. I'm okay physically. I'm going to the gym and I'm building up myself. And mentally, I'm okay because my social outwork gives me that mental stability to be able to talk things through. But spiritually, I don't know what that is. I don't even know what that looks like because no one's helped me. No one's defined that for me. So I think that's what's missing in America as I know it. And just in people's lives, the the spiritual being and helping them define, that's that God vacuum in your life that's missing. Are there examples of things that you've been able to do as a chaplain that are spiritually satisfying that you were able to make a difference? Oh, yes. You know, here's a I started my journey at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in 2002, came on active duty, you know, and I would do marriage counseling, retreats, those types of things, renewal of vows, weddings. Well, let's fast forward 17, 16 years. I'm coming back from England and coming through the airport and I'm in civilian clothes and a TSA agent is there and she's looking at me and I'm thinking, I know I didn't bring anything from England. What's going on? And she says, you're a chaplain, aren't you? And I'm in civilian clothes. And I said, yes. She says, you were in Turkey? And I said, no, that was another chaplain. So I named that chaplain. She says, no, I don't know that chaplain. And then she says, well, you were here. And I says, no, that was this chaplain. And she says, no, I know you. I know you. And so I go on through the line. And she says, Chaplain Segrist, you married me and my husband. (laughs) Thank you for marrying us. And we're still good today. Those types of moments. Uh They were having some challenges, she said, but they came for marriage counseling. And 17 years later, and that's the incident. People are finding me on social media and saying, my son is now in seminary because he says he remembers Pastor Segrist back in the day. So those types of moments, it's just like, okay, God, thank you. 
Thank you. And that's after years have gone years. by. Because usually in ministry, we never really see the fruit of our labor. It's like that old parable or proverb that said a 70-year-old man was planting seeds and people were laughing at him. And they're like, well, you'll never see these trees and eat the fruit. He says, it's not for me. It's for my grandson mm-hmm. and my grandson's grandson. We plant the seed and someone else may water, but God will always get the increase. Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Ruth Ann Segris, what a pleasure. Thank you for speaking with me in good faith. Thank you. You know, my objective in life, my mission in life is to save a soul, to solidify, augment, validate, empower people to think about and consider their spiritual outlook on life's events, the work my soul requires. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. That's our time for today. Thanks to our guest, Head of Air Force Chaplain Recruiting, Chaplain and Lieutenant Colonel Ruth N. Segris, for generously sharing her stories and her faith. You can hear this and all of our interviews on demand at our website, byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith, or subscribe to the podcast. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you join us again soon, right here, In Good Faith.